we're going to talk about fail over the next few weeks. It means the same thing it's always meant. But in recent years, it's taken on kind of a new life uh, online, on the Internet, on Twitter, and different places where people will just label things that happen in their lives where they mess up with the simple word fail. In fact, there are blogs dedicated to it, pictures that they kind of show. I brought three pictures today I want to show you just to kind of show you uh, examples of fail. This is one we've all seen where signs uh, the burnout, and here the S has burned out of SunTrust Bank, and so it has become UnTrust Bank, all right? Here's a second one. Do you find these polls helpful? 95% of the viewership thought they were annoying, all right? And then this is my personal favorite. It's from Fantastic Stamps. Sam's. It's the Pamper Me Pretty Special Shampoo Cut and Eyebrow Wax, all for $19. Now, regularly you can only get that for $18, right? And so it's not, they fail because they, they, they mess up, right? They, they make a mistake. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about fail in a much more serious light. Not just when people fall off the swing sets, uh, not just when they make an ad- advertising mistake in the paper, not when a headline messes up, not when trivial things happen in your life, but what do you do when your life blows up? I mean, when all around you, stuff just starts happening. Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what to do when life just blows up in your face, when life shifts on you, when life changes what's happening. I thought about this week, um, the fact that at church on any given Sunday, numerous people lie right to your face. Because almost any Sunday that you walk in, one of the first questions you get asked is, how's it going? How you doing? How are you? And almost every response that is given is, fine, good, everything's all right. You know, maybe maybe an offhand comment, well, a little tired. But, you know, one, first of all, when you ask that question, most people, when they ask that question, aren't really wanting the answer to the question. Right? You're just, hey, how's it going? And we're not going to give the answer. And I got to thinking this week, it's kind of crazy to think about, but my mind works in crazy ways, that in some ways all of us here are like this Dr. Pepper can. Now, you have no idea what's inside this can. You can tell what's on the outside, and on the outside it looks good, it looks normal, it looks healthy, but you have no idea what's in the inside of this can. Just looking at it from where you are, you don't know if it's cool, if it's hot, If it tastes good, if it doesn't taste good, you don't know if it's actually Dr. Pepper in there or if some other substance has been slipped in there. You don't know anything about it. In fact, you all know what happens when you shake up something like Dr. Pepper, right? I mean, when you shake it up like this, now what would happen if I opened it up? Right? It'd spew everywhere. Now, I'm not going to open it up because I would have people calling my office tomorrow morning about cleaning the church building. But... If you shake it up like that, here's the amazing thing, right? We all know that inside of it right now, it is going nuts, right? But you can't tell it, can you? It looks the exact same as it did just a minute ago. Now, the truth is, in our lives, we're like that in a lot of ways. I see you all, and you all look great this morning. And if you didn't, I wouldn't point out who didn't, all right? You look great this morning. You got up this morning, you put on your clothes, you looked in the mirror, and you said, man, I look good, or that'll have to do, whatever. You got out, you came to church, and you look like you look every Sunday morning. 
But the truth is, some of you are hot under the collar. Somebody's already had something happen today at church or on the way to church, and you're just mad. Some of you are distracted by everything that's going on in your life. Some of you are, are, are bubbling inside. You're like that, that, that can that's been shaken. You, you, you're ready to explode in some ways. Some of you are just defeated because of everything that's happened. But on the outside, we all look okay. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, well, how do you handle it when life throws things at you that you don't expect? Now, here's what I'm going to tell you right from the beginning. There are levels of trials or difficulties or problems in life. I mean, there are levels of whether they are big or not, insignificant or not. And the truth is, here's what I've discovered in my life. Somebody's problem is only insignificant if it's somebody else's problem. Right? When it's my problem or my trial, it's significant. And so we're going to talk about what do you do when life blows up in your face. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the second part of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. And, uh, and then we're actually going to respond in worship to the truths that we know in Scripture here. Now, I just want to begin by defining for you what kind of incidents in life we're talking about. And so I've got two definitions. They're from two McDonald's, neither one of them old. Two McDonald's. One is Gordon McDonald, and he says this Those unanticipated events, most of which one would usually have chosen to have avoided in the first place. Now, all of us have had things in our lives that have happened that are unanticipated that we would have chosen to avoid, and yet they are at our doorstep or in our lives. Amen? I mean, we've all had stuff happen to us. Now, James McDonald kind of extends that and says, it's also a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. It's a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. Now, there's one word difference really in describing the circumstance from this one and the previous one, and it's the word painful. But the truth is, if you're going through any kind of trial or tribulation or difficulty in your life, it is in some way painful. Even some joyous things can be painful. And so what we're going to talk about is, how do we trust the Lord in the midst of it? Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about uh, this week, kind of defining it, or or how do we trust the Lord in the midst of it. Next week, we're going to talk about... um, some, uh, some ways that God can use it for purposes bigger than we can imagine. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about what, what it means to stand firm in the middle of it. Uh, the week, the four weeks from now, we're going to talk about uh, is there any way to get out of trials? And then we're going to finish up the series talking about, well, what if it just won't go away? And so we're going to talk about that for five weeks. And the first lesson we've got to learn is we've got to trust the Lord in all circumstances. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now, most of us have read, no matter what age you are in church, you have read or you have heard sermons on or you've discussed in Sunday school the first three verses of Hebrews 12, partly because I've preached on it here. So we know that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all that entangles us in the sin that so e- all that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorting its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Remember this. Be reminded of this. Take heart in this so that you don't lose heart and fall away. So the idea there is a wonderful idea that we're running through this life together. We need each other. We've got to depend on each other. We focus on Jesus. And then people that preach this chapter in Hebrews like to stop there because it doesn't get fun from there. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, this is an interesting little statement because the author of Hebrews, who we're not really sure who it is, but what he basically says is, quit your complaining because you have not yet bled for the gospel. Now, I just want you to think for a moment. The standard by which you can begin to complain a little bit is when you bleed or die for the gospel. That's what he says here. You, You haven't even started that yet. You're worried about a little problem you've got. You haven't shed blood yet. Verse 5. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement. Think about that when we read this, this verse. You've forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. This is a quote from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It is the most quoted or alluded to Old Testament passage in the New Testament. So it must be important. My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. The Lord disciplines those that He loves. I want to talk about the word discipline for a minute. Because when I think of discipline, it's not necessarily encouraging thoughts that come to mind. Right? When I was growing up, my dad enforced discipline in our house through the use of the number one paddle. It was a slender piece of wood. It was painted red, had the number one carved in it, had electrical tape, black electrical tape around the handle, and it hung prominently in our kitchen. Now, the reason it hung prominently in our kitchen is because of my brother, who was a bad little boy. Right? It didn't have anything to do with me. It was my brother. But all my dad had to do was to begin to threaten the number one paddle. Now, I know that some of you may be in houses where you don't believe in spanking your children, and I respect that opinion. That was not my dad's opinion, all right? And I can guess it wasn't many of your dad's opinions either. And he just had to mention the number one paddle. He didn't even have to say things like, I'm about to go get it. He could even just say, what's sitting on top over there by the refrigerator? Yes, sir, I'll do whatever you want, right? That's what I think about when I think about discipline. It's not necessarily a good thing. Well, the word discipline may be a bad word to use here because what it actually means is instruction or teaching. It's different than just getting the paddle down. It's instructing or teaching. And what we have to understand is that that will not always be pleasant. Now, let me just say from the beginning, not everything that comes into our lives is discipline from the Lord. There are lots of reasons that bad stuff happens in our lives. Lots of reasons. I can think of four or five right off the top of my head. One is because we do terrible stuff. 
we make bad decisions. How many of you in this room have ever gotten yourself in a situation because you made a bad decision? All right? Right. We have. We make bad decisions, and so as a result, we get consequences. Many of us that we, sometimes I, I talk to people and they'll say, I just have no idea why this happened. And I'll walk back through it and i am go, well, I can tell you why it happened. It, it, or bad decisions you make. Sometimes bad stuff happens to us because of bad decisions other people make. Amen? I mean, how many of you have ever gotten in trouble because of bad decisions other people? Don't point. Just raise your hand. How many? Right? How many? We have. They're just bad things that other people make. Some of it is simply because we live in a broken world. When we were, when when Adam and Eve, our, our forefathers, were in the Garden of Eden and they made a decision to eat a piece of fruit, it was much more than just a simple decision not to follow God's directions. The truth is that they chose to turn their back on God and as they did, sin and suffering came into the world rushed into the world in a way that we cannot imagine what the world would be like without it. Now, the truth is, it's not all Adam and Eve's fault. Because even though we bear the marks of an original sin, you and I contribute to the sin problem pretty freely in our daily lives. Amen? I mean, we do. And so we live in a broken world among sinful people. And so when you get six billion people on a planet who their first thoughts are not thoughts to please God, but to please themselves, you're going to end up with some bad stuff happening. Now, I'm not saying that any of that controls things like the weather. But that is a result of a broken world that we have. So it's stuff we do. It's stuff other people does. It's the broken world we live in, and it's the reality that we have an enemy who is set on stealing, killing, and destroying. So it's much more than just a simple answer. Uh, I saw this week that they asked people in America, if you could ask the Lord one question, what would you ask him? And the number one question people said they would ask is, why do bad things happen to good people? Now the truth is, that's not really the question they want to ask. The question they want to ask is, why does bad stuff happen to me or somebody I love? That's the question they want to ask. But it sounds more spiritual to say good people. And so you get into that and we say, well, what, how did I get in this situation? Well, there are all those things, those four things. But another thing that we have to consider is there are moments when God leads us into situations to discipline us in order to build our character and our conduct. There are moments when God leads us into places. I've been reading a little bit about the story of the Israelites at the Red Sea, and part of this is because my father-in-law has been studying that pretty regularly, and we talk about things that we study a lot. And uh, we've been talking about some different issues, and uh, I saw this insight in a book about it. You know the story, right? Uh, uh, Moses takes the Israelites, and he goes back, and he gets them, and they have the plagues and all of that. And Pharaoh says, let my people go. And the people all get out and they start on their trek and they go exactly where God tells them to go. Now, how do we know they go where God tells them to go? Because God gave them a cloud by day and a fire by night and he let it go so that they would know where to go. So they follow him exactly. 
They turn when he says turn. They zig when he says zig. They zag when he says zag. They go exactly where God intends for them to go. To use a phrase from today's world, they are in the center of God's will. And they get on this road, and as they're going down the road, Moses suddenly realizes there's a problem. Because before them is the Red Sea. And he's got one and a half to two million people behind him and no boats. And as he thinks, well, we've got to turn around and go the other direction, he looks to his left and it's scorching wilderness and desert. And he looks to his right and it's scorching wilderness and desert. Well, let's backtrack and he turns around and coming behind him is Pharaoh's army, the strongest army in the world. And the people of God are standing on the edge of the Red Sea with literally nowhere to go. And so you think, well, they must have made the bad decision somewhere. It must be somebody else's bad decision. It must be the fallen world. None of that. What you get, the real sense is, God led them to that moment. And the reason is, He was asking whether they were going to trust Him in every circumstance. Now, I know, preaching a message like this, that there are two dangers. And the first danger is this, that you will think that everything that comes into your life is sent by God. And that's just simply not the case. The second danger, though, is to think that nothing painful in your life is sent by God. Because the Scripture will say here, I want you to see this, verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Basically what he says is if God never disciplines you, then you better question whether you're a child of God. Because God disciplines all children. Let me tell you, I've been a parent now for seven years. So by no means am I an expert. There's a, the old joke around that there was a preacher that before he had children had ten rules about having children. Uh, when he had his first child, he had ten thoughts about, have, about raising children. And then when he had his third child, it was ten suggestions that might or might not work when you have children. All right. So I realize that the more I parent, the less I know. But here's the thing that I do know about parenting. That the most difficult part of parenting for me is discipline. And the most important part of parenting for me is discipline. Did your dad and mom used to tell you this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? And how ridiculous that sounds. But it's, if you're a parent, you understand it. Now, physically, that's not true, or at least it wasn't in my case. But I understand it. It hurts. But here's the thing. I know if I give no discipline to my kids, it will be a scary event when they're let loose on the world. And what God has done is entrusted me with children, and part of my responsibility is the discipline. To love, absolutely, but one of the ways I love them is by giving them limits. And so God says here that I either led you into this place or I've allowed you into this place. But either way, trust me no matter what's going on in your life. No matter what's happening in your life, trust me. Here's the second thing. Realize 
understand pain can lead to growth. It goes on in verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 11 because verse 11 really brings this out. But he says, We all have human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to our Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but is painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but is painful. Just thinking about my own life being disciplined and disciplining my kids, I can never remember a time when I was disciplined and thought it was not painful. Right? There was a time, I told you how bad my brother was, there was a time my brother told my dad after he received punishment that that didn't hurt that much. Yeah, that's exactly what my dad said. And guess what? Number one didn't just get referenced at that moment. Number one got used at that moment. So it's painful. Um, Anything in life that you want to grow and get better at, it's going to be painful in the process. Uh, Susan and I have decided that that this year we're going to be healthier. We've made that decision. And so she's going to a, a boot camp here at church. Some of you ladies and a couple of men are involved in that. I see out there. She's at boot camp here at the church on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And I'm starting this week at a, at a health club in the morning working out. And here's the thing I know, because I am not in the best shape of my life. Now, when I go and I do the treadmill and I do the lifting weights, that for the next two or three days after that, it is going to be painful. Susan, when she started boot camp, two days after boot camp, it was painful. Some of, I see some of you that were there shaking your heads, right? It was painful. Because we're disciplining ourselves, we're disciplining our body, we're preparing. And anything in life that involves growth, in general, involves some sort of pain. And so what it says there, it's not just pain for pain's sake. It's not just, oh, I'm going to hurt just to hurt. But it's for the growth that's involved. It says here, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it is painful. You don't want to do it. Uh, this week we started school. And uh, uh, Eli was, was excited about school. He's in second grade now. You know, he's got some friends in his class. It's an exciting thing. Uh, Monday morning, school, we have to leave the house at 7 o'clock for school. That's what time we have to leave to get to a school on time. Monday morning, I, I hear him start to get up and move around think, oh, well, he's up, he's up, you know, getting ready for school, I guess. I'd laid his clothes out the night before. He taps me on the shoulder and says, I'm ready, Daddy. I look at my phone. It is 545. And I said, I'm not. I'm going back to bed. I'll see you in an hour, all right? So on Monday, he's excited about it. School, new school year. You know, I've been bored at the house a little bit. Our we broke, so it's been tragic in our house. So, you know, all that's happening. So he's going back to school. Tuesday morning at 6.15, he's up. Wednesday morning at 6.30. Thursday and Friday, I'm yanking him out of the bed. Right? Time to get up. Let's get dressed. Let's go. I don't want to go to school. I don't like school. Now, here's the thing. I know that it's not the most fun thing in the world to go to school. And the older you get, the less fun school becomes. No amens there? Right? I mean, it's, you know, in kindergarten, you know, it's you're cutting and copying and coloring. That's pretty cool. Now he's doing Saxon math and reading books and science and social studies. 
And we were riding in the car last week, and Eli said, Daddy, I just don't know how long this school thing is for me. And I said, well, your daddy is still in school. To which he said, yeah, but I'm not going to be a preacher like you. So, But I know that he has to have those things to be productive in life. And he's got to learn 6 plus 6, and he's got to memorize his addition and his subtraction and his multiplication and his division, and he's got to learn how to read, and he's got to learn how to write. And as painful as it may seem at the moment, there is a benefit that comes long term, right? And so I know that it's a part of it, but when you're in the midst of it, it's hard. And so he says, understand pain may be part of the process. And here's the last thing. Choose to be trained. It says this. Later on, however, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I watched uh, some preseason football over the last couple of days. And I know that preseason football doesn't mean anything unless you get hurt, and then it means everything. But as I was watching that, and I'm reading news about the scrimmages going on in Knoxville and about what's happening all around, I know that come January and February, there are going to be two moments that will be forever etched in the minds of the sports community and of people. And it's those moments at the end of the season. Last year it was Drew Brees and his son lifting up that trophy, showing off the fact that they had just accomplished what they had trained for months and years to do. There are few places in our society where it is acceptable for grown men to blubber and cry. And it's amazing that one of those times is when they wrap their hands around a trophy at the end of a season. Now, why? Part of the reason is we know the amount of work. In pro football, it's OTAs and mini camps. It's being out there twice a day in a 100-degree heat. And, yes, I know they get paid millions of dollars. But the truth is it is a tough job to do. And when they get to the end of that training, there is this goal. There is this prize. There is this peace. Now, I just want you to think for a minute. We're talking about the peace that comes from throwing a little piece of pigskin around a field. What is that compared to enduring what God deems necessary to turn us into the human beings that he wants us to be? And I can just imagine. One of the things that I, you hear all the time is those guys right before they go out and play that, that final game is they say things like, this is what we worked hard in September for. This is what we trained last April for. This is what we've given our heart and soul for for a year. This is what it's all about. And they look back on all that they've done. Now, I don't know what it fully is going to be like when we get to glory and we get to see Jesus face to face, but I can imagine there will be instruction sessions about, now I want you to see how I use this situation to grow you in this way and to lead you to this place. And so when you're in the midst of it and it's painful, the choice is yours. You can 
throw it off and go into a shell and say, I'm not going to deal with it. You can talk to everybody you know and not turn to God and miss out on great blessings. Or you can give whatever situation you're in to the Lord at this moment right now and say, it is yours completely and I'm following you no matter what. Back to the Israelites at the Red Sea. Army behind them, sea in front of them, desert all around. And what does God tell them to do? Start walking into the sea. And in the midst of that, what Moses had to do more than anything was to trust the Lord and allowed himself to be trained in the process. And as they stepped into that sea, and it split open for them to go across on dry land, what they learned and what they discovered is they could trust the Lord no matter what the circumstance. And the question I have for you today is, have you learned that in your life? I don't have a clue where you are. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if you just look good today and on the inside you're bubbling and things are going crazy. I don't know if your family's messed up. I don't know if your job situation's a mess. I don't know if your finances are a wreck and you don't know how you're going to make it through the next month. I don't know if you just see things on the horizon that you're concerned about. But the truth is we all have stuff that if we allow it, will take us off course. And when life blows up, the question is, are you going to cling to the only thing that you can find security in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. 